a self-righteous, arrogant perfectionist, an angry, self-absorbed drug addict, a lazy pot smoker, a sex-crazed porn addict, an intellectual proud atheist, a hard-working do-gooder attempting to earn their way to heaven, an arrogant, obstinate child, a rebellious, lying teenager, an anxious, depressed, controlling hypochondriac, the bully, the bullied, the abuser, and the abused, the harlot, and the Pharisee. Jesus Christ came for them all. The list that I just read to you were many of the testimonies of the people within this congregation. And sometimes when we think about Christ coming, born as a baby in, in Bethlehem, we forget that Christ came for individual people. Uh, we know that Christ came for the glory of God the Father. He came to reverse the curse and reconcile the world to himself. He came to fulfill the law as the true Israel. He came to be the true temple. He came to bring grace and truth into the world. And yet Jesus Christ came for you. He came for persons, individual sinners, so they could become part of his eschatological, missional, redeemed people. Jesus Christ came for you and me. He came to rescue you from your sins, so that your faith in Christ could help you become the righteousness of God. As you've been thinking through the, the Christmas season, many of you may have been looking at the Old Testament, a lot of the Advent that you do with children this time of the year, as you think back of the stories of the Old Testament that, that proclaim or prophesy of the coming Christ. And the great question in that Old Testament is, how is one made righteous? You know, when we think about the word righteousness, it's just another way of saying it. How is someone right with God? The answer is, clearly from the Old Testament as well as the news, that we cannot be righteous through following the law. That we can, cannot be righteous by doing good works but only through faith in the Messiah, the seed of the woman, the offspring of Abraham, the prophet to, to raise up to be like Moses, the son of David, the suffering man of sorrows, the divine warrior king, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What the Old Testament does is it points again and again to Jesus Christ. I love that verse in First Peter chapter 2, and it says that the angels long to look into the salvation. They wondered who was going to be this Christ. The Old Testament points us to Christ by exposing us of our own sinfulness. Time and time again it shows us how we do not measure up. We lack righteousness and no one can meet the, the righteous standard of the law. And because there is no way for us to fulfill the law, Christ came to fulfill it. So the outline of this morning's sermon is very simple. It's what Christ has done and then how we should respond. The first point is that Christ came to fulfill the law. Christ came to fulfill the law. I'm going to jump around in a lot of different scriptures. They're not going to be on the PowerPoint behind you. Uh, so just take, take a note and, and listen hard uh, to what these scriptures teach. Matthew chapter 5, in the great Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says, Do not think that I come to abolish the law and the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Christ came to fulfill the law. He had to give us a greater righteousness than that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, our society usually says something like this. They throw their hands up when someone messes up and it says, Well, nobody's perfect. It's usually an excuse for sin. It's implying that in the end, everything is going to be okay. No one's perfect. No one is done right. So in the end, when we meet our maker, it's all going to be okay. Well, the birth of Jesus Christ shows us that someone had to come and get it right. Someone had to do it perfectly. Jesus did not come to abolish or do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He obeyed the law perfectly. He was truly righteous. His perfect righteousness is really redundant, right? To be righteous is to do things perfectly. It's the righteousness that we need that is greater than the Pharisees. It is an alien righteousness that cannot be achieved by our works and our flawed obedience. This is why Christ came. Christ came to fulfill the law, to be righteous for us, to be perfect. The sum of the law is really spelled out several places in the scriptures. It's to love God and to love our neighbors. So in Matthew 22, we read this. A lawyer came to Jesus and said, and he said to him, so Jesus said to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. Then it says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12, the whoever wishes that others would do to them, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Galatians 5, 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So one of the ways the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly is he loved God perfectly. In John chapter 17, verse 4, when he was having that last prayer with the Father, uh, the, the high priestly prayer, he, Jesus says this in John 17:4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus did it perfectly. His relationship with God was pure. We see this in, in 1 Peter 22-24. It says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die of sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The Lord Jesus Christ lived perfectly unto the Father, but he also lived perfectly unto his neighbor. He demonstrated what true love is. 
John 15, 13, greater love has known than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. Likewise, in 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we also lay down our lives for the brothers. So what I want, what I'm trying to draw out here is when we think about this Christmas season, and we think about our own lives and our own walk with the Lord Jesus, we want to make, we want to behold and think about what Jesus Christ has done. How he is, in his life, perfectly loved God, and perfectly loved his name. Because I think the more we behold Christ, the more we become like Christ. And I think, as we see at the end of this message, that there are requirements and responsibilities for Christians in this day. So, more specifically, how did he love us when he bore our burdens? Point number two, Christ came to bear our burdens. In, in Galatians chapter 6-2, it says, Bear one of his burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he, he is nothing, he deceives, deceives himself. We all need the incarnation of Jesus. That's what he's praying. We, we, we daily need to, to reflect and to rest in the birth of Christ. To, to, to rejoice in what he has done for us. All we have contributed to our salvation is the need for it. I love that phrasing. He who thinks himself is, that he is something when he is nothing deceives himself. That's really the problem of our day, isn't it? That we think that we're something when we're nothing. We think that we have good in us that can bring favor and delight to, to God, but really that's not true. At the core of our hearts, separated from Christ, is sin and evil. That's why Christ came. Christ came to, to redeem us, to buy us back from the grave, to live perfectly, to give us a righteousness that we could not have in, our, in ourselves. So what are these burdens that the Lord bore for us? The first thing he did was he bore God's wrath against our sin. Jesus Christ bore God's wrath against our sin. Our greatest burden in this life is against God. It's God's wrath against us for our sin. We deserve death for our sin and we have not obeyed the law perfectly. Christ perfectly obeyed the law so that he and only he could fulfill the law. And although he was innocent and perfect, he willingly laid down his life to bear our burdens. So verse I just read, 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. The great paragraph in all the Bible, Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. Why don't you just put a, put a hand right there in Galatians and turn back a few chapters and, and look with me in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. God's word says this, But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because of His divine forbearance to pass over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that we might be just, He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That word propitiation is a beautiful word. It means that God has, has taken, swallowed up, absorbed God's wrath. So God is now satisfied, overwhelmingly satisfied. So He is not angry with us anymore because of our sins, because He took all that anger and all that wrath and He placed it upon His, His Son, His perfectly righteous Son, so that we could be called righteous in Him. God bore, Jesus bore God's wrath for us. But He not only does that, he also helps us fight temptation. I don't know about you, but we live in a fallen world, and we still live in the flesh, and sometimes we don't do as we want. Sometimes we, we lose our temper, we're short with our children, um, we're short with our, our spouses, we don't handle our money the way we should, we, we buy something that we're not supposed to. I'm sure that's never happened to you. Never happened to me. So we, how does he help us fight temptation? Well, we see this in Hebrews chapter 2. The Bible says he was tempted in every way. Listen, 2, 17 through 8, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make what? Propitiation, that word again, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Those of you who are being tempted... Whatever you're being tempted with, pride, lust, envy, greed, He is there because He suffered along with you. So when you are being tempted, He can help you overcome that temptation. In chapter 4 of the same book, we read, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. But it's hard fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Sometimes when we think of our Christian life, we, we, we only think of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us and raising from the dead. We forget that the Lord suffered and was tempted and yet was without sin. So when you are suffering and you are being tempted, God wants you to come to Him. He wants you to come to Him so that He can help you through your temptation. This is part of the reason why He died. Not only that we could be saved from our sins, but that we could become the righteousness of God. We could be changed with a changed life. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation is overtaking that which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when a temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's a faithful promise. Lastly, there's many things the Lord has come to do and to bear our burdens, but let me just add one more. He bears all our anxiety. He bears all our anxiety. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, God's word says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. 
casting all your anxieties or cares on Him because He cares for you. This is an act of humility. Every time we, we, we bow before the Father and says, Lord, I need help. I can't handle this on my own. It's an act of humility. It's an act of trust and faith in what Christ has done. And He wants you to do it. He wants you to bring all your anxieties and all your worries and all your, your cares into Him. Sometimes I think as Christians we, we, have to, we have to show that we don't have any worries or any fears, that we have it all worked out and everything's, everything's fine. Listen, if that's you, that is a false Christianity. We have anxieties, we have worries. But where do we take those anxieties and those worries? We take them to Christ. And if we try to take them to ourselves, that we try to do them ourselves, we are denying the gospel. We're denying our need of the incarnation, denying our need of the, of the righteous one who fulfilled the law on our behalf, who bore our burdens. So, when we think about the incarnation, the first thing that we need to do, think about this, the Christ being born as a baby in Bethlehem, as the God-man, we would think about how he perfectly fulfilled the law and how he bore our burdens. He lived the, the righteous life per- perfectly, and when he died on the cross, he bore our sins. And that means so much to us. Because he didn't just die, he rose again. And he sent his Holy Spirit into us. And when he poured out, lavishly, richly poured out his Spirit into our life, now there's the so that. There's the so that, how are we now called to live? And I think that too often when we think about the Christmas season, we, we, we rest and we stop at the birth. And not at the, the so that. So, uh, I do several Bible studies throughout the week. Uh, this past semester, I, I went through the second half of Romans uh, with a bunch of college students. I worked through Galatians chapter 6 uh, with, with some men on, on Tuesday morning at Bojangles at 6.30 in the morning. Amen and amen. Um, and it's amazing how often this idea of the law of Christ, or the law of righteousness, the law of love just kept on coming up. Right? And I was just thinking, what do I want to preach on for Christmas Eve? I, I don't want to go to Revelation. A lot of people are traveling, and I need a break from Revelation because it is a, a wonderfully intense book. So I want to just kind of give a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement that we should fulfill the law of Christ in our church. I see that all over the second half of Romans 13 through 15 specifically, and then really here in Galatians chapter 6. So, last two points. Number three. Christ came... So, fulfill the law of Christ. So, if Christ came, so we must fulfill the law of Christ. We see that in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law has been fulfilled in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, so now we can fulfill the law by the power of the Spirit. Listen to Romans chapter 8, 1 through 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in the church, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the same thing the Lord Jesus Christ did, that the summation of the law is to love God and to love our, our neighbors is what God is calling us to do. Do we love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul? 
Are we known here at this church to be a people who love God? Does the, does the sweetness of Christ just emanate from our lips? Are we so quick to talk about His kindness and His goodness and His mercy? Do we speak of His grace? Do we, do we choose the good portion by sitting at the feet of Christ, spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, or do we often distract ourselves with busyness? Listen, it is hard to love the Lord. Because everything in this world wants to, to drive a wedge with your relationship with the Lord. I think the number one sin in the American church is busyness. We spend so much time doing for the Lord, or thinking that we're doing for the Lord, that we stop loving the Lord and just spending time with Him. This is the most important thing about Christmas. We can love God. We, who were sinners, who were enemies, who were far away from Him, now can love God because God became man and lived that righteous life and died a sinner's death and rose from the dead and sent His Holy Spirit, fulfilling the law so that we can fulfill the law of righteousness. We can love God. We can know Him because He came to be with us. Let us not forsake that gift. We can know God. Let us be a people here at Park Baptist Church who are known for loving God. Secondly, we need to love our neighbors. I've already read it before, Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. Are we a people who are known, not only for our love for God, but our love for the saints, our love for each other? Do, do we love in, in deed and in truth, or only in word and talk? John, 1 John 3.16 By this we know love that He laid down His life for us. There's the beholding. We look at the Lord Christ. He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. The fuel that is enabling us to love God and to love our neighbors is beholding the love of Christ and what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. This is why we want to, um, in everything that we do, in our Sunday school, in our singing, in our, in our conversations with one another, we want the love of Christ to be manifest. We want the gospel of the Lord Jesus to be, to be prevalent in all that we do. Why? So that we can love each other better. I mean, isn't it nice to be around people who love you? Right? Who just, who are willing to lay down their lives for you? It is a powerful thing. It is exactly what the Lord Jesus has done. And because He has done it, He now has asked you to do it. To lay down your life for others. Well, let, me, let me just close here. Christ came, so, church, bear each other's burdens. Bear each other's burdens. How do we do this as a church? I'm going to give you some examples here in a few moments that the way I see God helping, using us to bear each other's burdens. But let's just first ask ourselves, how do we do that? The first thing that we must do is we must notice the burdens. Do you, do you know the burdens of the people in this church? 
If you, if you were to just stop for a second, I was, the sermon was over, and I said, I, just, I want you guys to sit here in, in silence for the next five minutes. Would you be able to look around at the different members of, of our church, the people who are sitting at, at, in, in these pews, and say, okay, I, I generally know the burden that these people are dealing with. I know that this person is lonely. I know that this person is grieved. I know this person is worried where their next meal is coming from. I, I, I know the burdens of the people in this church. And if you don't, you need to pray and ask God to show you. You need to ask God to reveal the burdens of the people in the life of our church so we can better bear that burden so fulfilling the law of Christ. I would just also ask this. If you want to notice people's burdens, ask good questions. In public and in private. You know, I cannot tell you how many times I have learned of a burden by simply looking at them and saying, how is your walk with the Lord going? What's happening in your life? How are you doing? And usually when you ask someone how, how are you doing, what do you typically say? Good, fine. Then i got to be the old, but really, how are you doing? I really, really want to know what's going on in your life. And you'd be surprised what people share with you, right? Last um, December, I was at a, a meal uh, for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and some guy was there serving as a caterer. And I just stopped and said, hey, man, how you doing? Um, thanks for serving for us. Can, can I, I think I can pray for you about it. I just met this guy. Literally, I met him for 10 seconds. He's saying, yeah, my wife and I are having a hard time conceiving. Can you please pray for us? That's a burden that I found out by a complete stranger within 10 seconds. Right? Ask good questions. And then look, what are the potential burdens that people face? Stress? I mean, think about the life change in people's lives. New jobs, new, new relationships, new babies, right? Think about the different stresses they're facing. What about the, the physical pain of the people in our church? You know, there are a lot of people in our congregation who deal with chronic pain, but you would never know that they're in chronic pain until you talk to them because they're fighting for joy and they're not letting nobody see it on their face. But that's a burden. Are you bearing that burden with them? What about financial struggle? You know, God is, is, is the giver of all good gifts. Sometimes God blesses you, not only to bless you and your family, so that you can also bless others. Do you know those folks in our congregation who are hurting? That you could be a, a source of blessing and bearing with them. What about those who are dealing with addiction? Pills? Opiums? Pornography? Those are real addictions that are happening in the life of our congregation. Rebellious children, failure, job loss, relationship loss. So after you notice these burdens, the next thing you have to do is you have to prepare to meet them. It's not just noticing what they're happening, but you actually have to prepare to meet these burdens. But remember, I'm not telling you, I don't want, I don't want this to turn into a moralistic, um, therapeutic, deistic sermon at the end, right? We're doing this because Christ left glory and came down and rescued us, laid down his life for us, fulfilling the law so that we could be the righteousness to this world. Right? There's a reason. So when you prepare to meet these needs, just some very practical things you have to do. You have to create margins in your schedule. If you're too busy, you can't meet people's needs. 
Some of you struggle with that more than others, right? Some people need to be kind of kicked <laughs> and actually do something, right? Some of you have to create some, some room in your schedule. But not only your schedule, I think you need to create margins in your budget. Because if you're going to bear one of those burdens, oftentimes it's an inconvenience to you. It's going to cost you something. Whether that's the food around your table, gas money to go get somewhere. Right? You need to create gaps in your budget so that you can meet that need when they arise. And lastly, you need to act. A couple of years ago, I was uh, teaching through a uh, Sunday school curriculum, training Sunday school teachers, Sunday school done right, and the guy said something that has always just stuck to me. He says, we need to be intentional about our good intentions. Seems very simple. So unless we are intentional about our good intentions, um, it was a, there's a great quote that I was supposed to be able to memorize that I just forgot. Bottom line is, is if you're not intentional with, with, with your good intentions, they mean nothing. Right? If I told my wife, yes, sweetie, I had, had the best intentions to get you flowers today. Thanks. Next time just buy the flowers. <laughs> right? Don't tell me about it. Um, so here's the deal. There are so many things happening in the life of our church right now where I see God using us to bear each other's burdens. It is such a wonderful thing for a pastor to see the people of God bearing the burdens of others, right? So I just want to try to draw this out. This is always a danger because I'm always going to leave people out, and that, of course I'm not going to have time to share with everybody. But I just want you to, you to see, and not to glory in the, the individuals, but to glory in Christ, what he's doing through individuals. Because that's what's happening. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit fulfilling the law of righteousness through people. I think about Joe Green. Well, many of you don't know, but I mean, Joe has really, really stepped up and really cared for his, his Aunt Elma, right? And helped her settle her estate, sell her property, and take care of all those, those details. And Joe did it happily and without complaint, right? He fulfilled the law of Christ. I think about Stephen Raytay. You know, a lot of Stephen and I have been going visiting um, for a number of, of months now, and normally when I go visiting with someone, I usually kind of go in, and I'm the person who knows the person, and I'm trying to bring somebody else along and, and introduce them. Well, recently I went to, to visit Miss Hazel Honeycutt with, with Stephen, and it, it felt like I was, a, I was the guest, and Stephen was a son. Not just a member of the church, but it felt like he was a son. Why? Well, because he, he, he noticed the burdens going on in her life, and he met them. He helped her when she was living at her house, buy groceries. He would go sit with her for four or five hours if, if she was feeling sick. That is bearing the burdens of Christ, and so fulfilling the, the law of Christ. I think about just some of our, our, our new members, in, in Dan and, and Kathy Mast, right? You know, Dan going over and helping uh, Keith build his uh, beautiful wood shop, right, in, in, his, in his yard. And I'm so encouraged by, by Kathy. Kathy's just like, where can I serve? Is there someone in the church that I can encourage? Even both Kathy and Sharon going and visiting three shut-ins. Not prompted, not saying, hey, go visit these three, but just going and visiting them. That is a beautiful and encouraging thing. And I'm, I'm encouraged by Daniel and, and Jen Huddleston. Just coming to the church, transitioning from fellowship, and the first Sunday that they're here, they're, they're teaching the middle school class. 
right? And those kids are loving it. And they're so encouraged by the opportunities that they have to, to grow in Christ. You know, one young man that I've been super encouraged by, how he has bore the burdens of others, is John McDonald. You know, John's not here so I can talk about him. He hates being talked about, right? But man, he is laboring his tail off to help people know Christ, right? I probably, probably once every seven days, John McDonald sends me an encouraging text message. Saying, Pastor, I love you, and I'm so proud of, of being able to be part of this congregation, right? Three weeks ago, he invited 25 college students over to his house just so he could feed them and, and love them. That is bearing the burdens of others. Listen, there are so many people that I could highlight. I mean, I can just sit, sit here and just almost weep in terms of the encouraging things I've seen that happen in the life of our, of our congregation. Do you? I mean, I said, do you know those burdens that are happening in people's lives? If you were to stop... How encouraging have you been this past year, this past season, when you look at what God is doing in the lives of the people in this church? How many of our young, our men were sacrificing their time to serve at the warming shelter? Giving up their evenings, sometimes two or three evenings in a row. I mean, Grant has given his life to helping men find, find Christ and a warm bed. It's been a lot of sacrifice for the Henson family. Praise to the name of Christ. Now, I'm not praising any individual here because if any individual does good unto Christ, it is because of the Holy Spirit that God has invested into their heart. But listen, when we think about the birth of Christ, we should be thinking about our own lives. If Christ has fulfilled the law, and He wants us to now walk by the Spirit and, and, and fulfill the law of righteousness, shouldn't we Ask ourselves how I can bear one of those burdens. How can I help fulfill the law of love and of, of righteousness? I'm so encouraged by watching Rich counsel and give his life in deep, serious issues with people that you probably have never met. Some of the things that he's dealing with are even beyond what I deal with on an average day. So encouraging. Or watching Hope Huddleston, the, the visiting ninja, right? In these last days to encourage those who are struggling. Listen, there's college students that are meeting with, with teenagers to help them find Christ. There are our, our stay-at-home moms who are visiting with our sons. Listen, God is at work. God is at work in our congregation. Now, I want to point all that out so that you can, can, can look at that and say, Yes. Praise God I get to be part of a congregation like that. That is helping to fulfill the law of righteousness. And how can I? How can I join? If Christ stepped out of glory, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A, a son laid down his life for us. You know what he asks of us? The same thing. He laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And when we do, we fulfill the law of Christ. Beloved, Christ is so glorious. He is so holy. He is so kind and compassionate that he allows you to bear his name, 
and to do his work. Praise be his name. Father, we thank you for Christ. God, I thank you for how you have used the people of this church to show Christ, to fulfill the law of Christ in this place. God, I pray that you would help us all bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.